Merry Clicky Muck, everybody. Welcome to the wow. unboxing story. <laughs> it does. It says it says a lot about you as a person when you have enthusiasm and it's and it shocks people. Yes, to their core. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, I, I'm infected by the, the Christmas season, but I also wanted to thank you guys for increasing our listenership. Um, maybe thank you to Anchor, who is now our new sponsor. Yes, uh, but also. All of you with the ears that are listening, welcome. Uh, my name is Jonathan Matos. And this is Melissa Matos. And welcome to Unboxing Story, where we explore narrative from the fringes. It's also kind of Christmas to me, because I get to crap on a movie again. <laughs> and I get to be a little grinchy pants. <laughs> and it, it makes, it makes it, I don't know, something about it. Just warms your heart. Just warms the cockles of my heart. Um, but before we go th- do that... Um, before we talk about the betrayal of my trust <laughs> that Life of Pi has made, um, we're going to do a little ad read. So we'll see you on the other side of the month. So have you heard, had you heard of Life of Pi before uh, we watched it? Yes. Mm. Uh, both as the book and the movie. Okay. <clears throat> I did I, not know anything about what it was about, except it involved a boy and a tiger in a boat. That was bad. Right. <laughs> hey, um, I was aware of it because I think it was one of those books that was required reading growing up in the, the acclaimed Philadelphia education system. <laughs> and um, I was surprised after watching the movie that it was it was because of how kind of dark it is. And uh, also, it, it is very much... Um, so like abstract and I think it was like I think I remember it during like middle school it being that and it's like I don't know <laughs> middle schoolers can grasp all the things that the book's trying to do. Yeah, no. Um, um that's surprising that they had you read that in middle school. Hmm. High school maybe, because they make you read a lot of depressing stuff in high school. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> um but that's that's kind of one of the the thematic things that we're gonna get into is the kind of the tonal shifts in the, in, in the movie. Um, but really the reason why we're doing this as, as kind of foreshadowed in the intro is that I kind of felt like the, the, um, it, the ending didn't really pay off what the movie seemed to be about, what it seemed to set up. And I feel like, um, now as I've grown a little bit as a writer, I feel like there is things that it pays off, um, that there is work done, but I'm learning that there's now degrees of paying off <laughs> and, and kind of what, like, I feel like, um, watching it this time, I wasn't as angry at it. And, um, perhaps the degree of my reaction does show that it was doing something, mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of what I realize are really bad movies now are when you don't remember them. You know what I mean? Right. If it's truly mediocre... Right, then it's nothing. Then it's, it's nothing. It's just like, oh, there was a... What? But Maybe. the fact that it makes you feel something, that is a sign that it's doing something right. Um, so, for those who don't know, <laughs> Life of Pi was uh, a novel, as we kind of talked about. And uh, it was made a movie in... Uh, 2012, um, and uh, it starts out with um, Pi, <laughs> who is the main character, um, and the kind of way that it um, frames it is uh, the life story of Pi as he tells it to um, uh, this guy who met his uncle, um, and he was like, uh, being a sad sack in some kind of cafe or something, and he was upset that his book wasn't going well, and so the, uh, Mark, the oh yeah, so Yan uh, Martel is the name of the um, the novelist. It said Martel has been told that Pi's life story would be a good subject for a book, so Pi starts telling his story to him, um, and it's an interesting thing because I, I in my mind I was kind of um 
comparing this to another movie that came out uh, recently that was about a Indian mathematician who felt like he heard the voice of God. And it was his way of, um, it, it was uh, kind of the, the way that they told the story was the combined stories of this uh, English mathematician and who's like very well established. And he is this poor Indian peasant who just happens to be like brilliant. Um, and it's always interesting to me when uh, a foreigner story is told through more like the lens of this other person. And did that, did that feel like it was disconnected to you at all? Or did that bother you at all? As you're watching it, you mean that <clears throat> Pi's story was told through the the Westerners' eyes? You mean? Yeah, like the the fact that it had to be framed as like this Canadian guy, like he it's it's because uh, what I can compare it to is kind of like uh, for those of you who may may or may not have heard this before, but the there's this writing principle of the manic pixie dream girl, and the the point is not to denigrate women who have whimsy <laughs> or are happy, but the idea is that this woman in the story is only in the story to benefit the male figure. And so it's kind of comes across as like, Oh, this is this woman's story, but really it's about somebody that, that kind of bulldozes through a, a more um, mundane life. Yeah. And then it, it, the, it, you know, it, it harvests this, you know, amazing, um, like, you know, this guy's life changes and becomes better because he met this person. I think it was just more, more used to, um, to frame the question. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted it to be about the point that was at the end. I don't know if you would give that away yet, but mm -hmm. there was a specific point that he was going for right. and framing it the way they did makes you think about that from the beginning rather than just being introduced to this crazy life mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what <clears throat> it represents. Right. Yeah. I, Which, think I mean, you, you might've picked up some of that anyway, but not as clearly as when that guy comes in and says, I'm here to hear your life story. And your uncle said, you'd make me believe in God. Mm -hmm. Like that's how it's framed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're instantly doing that from the beginning instead of wondering why are you telling us this crazy story? Right. Yeah, it's it's a shortcut to get to what the theme of the whole thing is. Right. Uh, essentially. And so I think that's probably what bothers me more as a writer is that those kind of shortcuts, rather than just saying I'm making a thing about an Indian person, it bothers me that it's a shortcut because it's an easy way of saying this is the question we see as a white guy on the poster, then they'll be in because it's not I think just that's, about You, you feel like that's why they put him in there? I thought it was more because they make the comment at the beginning too, the fact that he had gone all the way to India to try and figure this out and finds the one guy who has a relative back where he came from who has the answer. You know what I mean? Like it was supposed to be this you really didn't have to cross the world to find the answer to this. God had sent the person to you already back mm -hmm. in French Canada. So why are you, you know what I mean? I, I think it was just more of, I, it wouldn't have mattered whether the guy was white or whatever he was. Mm -hmm. It's just the idea that it's this person that came all that way, went all that way <clears throat> and didn't have to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So wait, who went all that way? The, the writer. Mm -hmm who was from French Canada, right. went all the way to India to try and finish this, you know, to get this story mm -hmm. and found the one guy whose nephew lived in French Canada <laughs> who had the story he needed. Right. So it's like, it was just a picture of, you know, someone who was searching. Uh -huh. It wouldn't have mattered what kind of person they were. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that, that does change the framing of it <clears throat> rather than like it and fake. Yes. Right. That that he met the person that through this set of circumstances. Right. Fate had already put this person like he would have made. Mm -hmm. He's the man who knew infinity. I was trying to look that up. Oh. Mm -hmm. 
I think with both instances, it's not as if, like, for example, one really egregious example was they just did a movie about Bruce Lee. But in order to make Bruce Lee important, they did was have this white guy named Steve who he's, I don't know if he's training or he's just kind of in it. And Steve's girlfriend gets kidnapped. And so Bruce Lee goes over and whoops everybody's butts. And if you but, think that you need to put something in your movie to make Bruce Lee cool, yeah, <laughs> you have more like, problems than I can. In the with. defense of the Man in New Infinity and and like by, it is about the Indian characters. It's not right, about, about the white guy at all. He's just there because he was looking for the story. It's the story that's really important, mm. not the guy. Right. Um, but I think as as we go <clears> along, <throat> we'll talk about more of the. Um, uh, whether it earns all the themes that it's trying to do. So I feel like that might be part of it, but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Father names him Sin Malikter Patel after uh, funny. Yes. Um which as I as I was saying before, like part of it I'm I I was talking about before about how I compared it to kind of like Forrest Gump because it's it's got that very Spielbergian thing of parts of it are very sad and parts of it are very like whimsical and fun. And um, I think that the, uh, I think it is more executed better than I was probably giving it credit for. Um, But the, there's kind of like the, I feel like the first half of the movie and the second half are very different. And um, the, there's, so the, the big thing about him being named uh, Pissine is that everybody says pissing. And yeah. they, they's like really uh, made fun Pulling of Pissine. a lot this. the poor child. And so... But he has a very creative way to deal with it. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, the idea that he has is that rather than allow these kids to bully him um, or fight back or, or anything, any conventional thing, he kind of creatively comes up with this idea to have people name, call him Pi. And he memorizes, like, how, I don't know. I don't how know digits. how many digits, like, a hundred something, because he filled, like, three chalkboards with it. Right. And so the idea is that being known for knowing all this stuff and being smart and, and stuff is what kind of, you know, everybody's like, pie, pie, pie. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so he, he adopts the name pie, the Greek letter. Um, I don't know, pie? <laughs> to avoid the sound of, like, name pissing Patel. Uh, he's raised in a Hindu family, but at 12 years old, he's introduced to Christianity and then Islam, decides to follow all three religions as he just wants to love God. Um, so the, I, it's interesting because in that moment, I think you're supposed to be, like, if you're going to compare those two, the contrast of those two scenes, right, uh, or sequences, it's interesting because in the first one, it's very much inspiring and, and you're kind of on his side but then part of me when he starts doing all those like he's kind of listlessly like he, he literally just he, oh, hears people praying in a muslim mosque and all of a sudden he wants to be muslim so that then you're all of a sudden you're more on his dad's side because his dad's kind of like i would rather you believe in one thing than just bloody yeah. kind of interesting that your work there is kind of because like part of you is just like this is an idiot kid and then part of you is like you know i'm, I'm on this kid's side i'm rooting for him um and i i, I will say that um usually with a, a, a with a, a character like this who is more introverted and creative and different you usually have the dad being super uh oppressive and the mother being super approving. Um, but I thought they did a good job of showing how his dad was being a dad and like yeah. trying to challenge him to really think about things. Um, and the mom was very affectionate, but it wasn't making one seem better than right. the other. Yeah. And they, they, and they both seemed to respect each other too. It wasn't like they were just showing that the dad was like abusive or, right. you know, stuff like that. Uh, even though he is very, you know, harsh in some scenes. And you might disagree with what he's doing. You know why he's doing it, and it's not because it doesn't seem like it's because he. No, wants he's not to be trying mean. to really harm the kids. He's trying to show them 
trying to keep them safe. Right. <clears throat> um, or, or, or and help them to be, you know, to think for themselves, kind of thing. But um, real briefly on the, I don't know, we, we don't want to go off too long about the religion thing because we could be here all day if we get into that. <laughs> um, there is some some of it. Obviously, we, we, as Christians, would disagree with because we do believe these religions all teach very different things. Mm -hmm. um, and that there is a specific way to get to God and not just, well, I just want to love God. I can do whatever. Mm -hmm. But there is also a point to people that get hung up on the trappings. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one of my favorite medieval books is um, The Dark Knight of the Soul. Uh -huh. And it's a Catholic priest who was imprisoned for writing this poem, which is very much a love poem to God mm. in terms that most people at the time were not allowed to use in love poetry, right. let alone a Catholic priest writing this. Mm. And he wrote a book explaining the poem that he wrote mm. and how <clears throat> at some times in your life, uh, going through the motions of a particular religion feels very dry. Mm -hmm. Like you're just doing the motions to do the motions. Right. Like you go and do your prayers and you go and do the service or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it feels very dry to you. And mm -hmm. he says, that's God pointing out to you that it's not about the trappings. It's not about how many times a day you say your prayers. It's not about which service you go to. It's not about the, the motions of the religion that you have chosen. Mm -hmm. It's about him. Right. Mm -hmm. So in the poem at the end, the person leaves this like, very elaborate place and goes traveling through the dark to God mm. and disappears into him basically. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of idea of to some extent, the, the motions that you go through as part of your religion, isn't the main point. Obviously the teachings of it is different than the motions of it. Mm. I think a lot of people wrap those two together too much, <clears throat> but you can, worship God in different ways so long as they are in line with the teachings mm -hmm. of, that we believe are his teachings mm -hmm. um, and not get hung up on the motions, get too hung up on the, on the motions and think, Oh, well you didn't do it this way. So you're not actually worshiping God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just keep that in mind too, as an, as an open way of looking at right. things that are, cause he was, he was doing that. He was like, all of these things make me feel like I am worshiping God. Mm -hmm. So why can't I use all of these things? I am praying to God, right? Like to whatever his idea of God was. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he was ignoring the doctrines that all three of those were probably telling him God was. Mm -hmm. But he's like, there's this thing that is a God and I'm going to worship him in whatever ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. You know, mm -hmm. I won't eat meat and I will pray six times a day. And I will, you know, mm -hmm. he was just joyously happy that he was worshiping God. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but I think that the, I think what probably the, the one, the, the only thing that I can put my finger on with the, the beginning part of the movie is the pacing. Mm -hmm. I feel like the fact that it flits from thing to thing. Um, and, and, I, and I can understand why, as it's an adaptation of a book. And um, also when you're dealing with such internal things as religion, it's hard to get across somebody's actual pursuit of God. Right. Um, so th those things. Have you read it? No. No, I didn't have to. It'd be interesting to read it. it and see if there are more in-depth. Um, yeah, I'm sure the book does, things does about it his... better. I mean, it, w it was like a bestseller. And if it got onto the required reading, I'm sure it's, it's good. Um, but the, I think that that's probably part of what makes it difficult to translate. Um and I think that the certainly when you're looking at a film, it's kind of what I brought up back when we were doing the um, we did an Ant Man um, and the Wasp uh, podcast with my friend Will uh, because he kind of feels the same way that I do about uh, film criticism that like people should lighten up a little bit. Um, but the the when you look at a film and you know that there are parts of it that you disagree with. Certainly, there are ways that you can go about showing the how the language of the film does or does not get across its point, but that's different than, than talking about whether or not you agree with that point. Yeah. thing. So the, what we're saying when we say that we're not going to get into that conversation is that this is a religious 
podcast. But it, as far as the language of the filmmaking gets across the ideas, uh, because of the father's character, you get the idea that he also is not um, trying to show tell his son that, like, you get the idea that his, his father um, is go, is willing to let him do what he wants to do. Right. But is trying to just give, give pick a thing. guidance <laughs> about what, like, about the way that religion say, works. He says, like, um, oh, because the mother says he's still trying to find his way. And the father says, well, how is he going to get to his way if he doesn't pick a path? Right. Like, you can't just aimlessly meander mm-hmm. around. And so to get somewhere. What, what I would criticize about <clears throat> the film is that it's um, it's trying to be- do that, walk that line between. So the challenge for the writer is to uh, come up with a character who has um, weaknesses. Yes. Without making them annoying. <laughs> and so what was, um, what was jarring, I think, is that when you set up that this character is so smart, I'm kind of thinking it's going to go one direction and then it kind of shows like, well, he has this kind of wanderlust thing. Um, and so that, I think that's the thing is that the, I think there are some people that might enjoy like a Forrest Gump type story where it, the, the uh, story takes a backseat to the theme and what it's trying to do. Like uh, we were talking about how Forrest Gump is really about America. It's not really about forest necessarily right. um but that the reason that that movie doesn't have as much of an impact on me personally is that it's it feels impersonal it feels like it's just about this you know bombastic you know spectacle story and and uh it's kind of cherry picking historical things and uh at the worst i think you can say that like you know how can you write a story about AIDS and the Black Panthers and stuff like that and use that as like window dressing. Um, but uh, I think that that's the, the thing is that since I'm, you know, passionate about, about religion when it's just using this um, type of fable story to get into those things and it doesn't really, um, in, in the way that I'm used to telling, uh, telling story and, and paying attention to the details that I, I, prefer it to um like i was saying that uh it kind of feels manufactured when when you're uh taking a story like this and dressing it up with like you know has like a little bit of a love story in it and and, um it has uh like humor in it and stuff like that uh it's it's the the tone and the pacing and all that stuff kind of you know gum up the works for me a little bit um but were you? I mean, I I don't know if it's also that the like with with kid characters, it's it's a little easier for you to be like like were you were you in Jurassic Park going like Alan just leave them in the <laughs> jungle? No, like, not kids. No, <laughs> why would you do that? <clears throat> that's well, horrible. That's how you survive. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh-huh. <laughs> You need you need another generation, or it doesn't work. <laughs> Works for me. So what, you 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 didn't want. I'm confused how that question relates. Now <laughs> you well, didn't like, want. You know, I, I just I just recognize that there are a lot of critics that will be critical of kid characters because when you're a certain age, you have those foibles of you know you don't know how to fend for yourself and. Usually, if the if the main character is somebody older, they can just complete like in the purge where one of the kids opens up the uh, storm door and lets all the people like nobody can watch that movie because they're just like just shut the kid outside. Yeah. Um, The only thing I think that he did that was really stupid mm -hmm. was the scene with the tiger. Okay, so we'll, we'll we'll get into it. But other than that, I mean, he was a kid, and they they played him like he was a kid. He yeah, wasn't. Yeah, they're cute, I guess. Um, huh? <laughs> I said, yeah, they're cute, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm gonna play this for your nieces, and we'll see how well that goes. 
because <laughs> we because we want to have their opinion on the uh, but the, their opinion well, of your opinion of children. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you love them. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, I can't deny that. Um, his mother supports his desire to grow, but his rationalist father tries to secularize him. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but uh, Pi's family owns a zoo, and Pi takes interest in the animals, especially a Bengal tiger named uh, Richard Parker. <laughs> uh, and he talks about how there was a clerical error where the person that caught him, um, his name is Richard Parker, and they called him... Uh, thirsty. They called, yeah, they called Richard Parker Thirsty, um, but then their names got switched on the manifest, and so they call him Richard Parker. Uh, after Pi gets dangerously close to Richard Parker, Father forces him to witness the tiger killing a goat. So this is where it's kind of like you get like the Jenny has AIDS thing where it's like, this is real life. <laughs> and um, I think that that, that's probably a good introduction to like how crazy it's going to get later. Um, it's not necessarily complete whiplash, um, but yeah, it was good foreshadowing, I think. Yeah. But the, I think that the, the fact like they, they introduced this, this love interest that kind of doesn't go anywhere. Right. Those types of things just kind of seem to me like this person wanted to include stuff from the book or just stuff that they, like, you know. Well, um, I mean, it was supposed to sound like a real-life story, right? Uh, right. So that happens, you know. He was a teenager and he fell in love because that's what they do. Uh, but then they had to move. So, mm. you know, it's how it is. You're leaving the country. You can't really get to see your chick anymore. You know, it's just supposed to be like, you know, actual real life stuff, which is not as neat as a real story, as a written story. Uh-huh. <clears throat> it can be. Right. I wanted it to be like a poly situation where he runs into him later on. No. And there's a cute singing bird. See, I'd rather have a bird than a kid. That's what we're <laughs> learning right now. Wow. Talking parrots. Talking parrots. Trump children. They want, they want taco. Taco, taco, taco. Taco, taco. I'm putting that on the list, by the way. That's a, that's an amazing it, is, movie. it is a cute movie. I, I and that's it. actually good. That would be good if we want to revisit this idea of showing somebody's life story. Because I care way more about that bird than I do about this kid. That's a shame. How can you say that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're a mean one. Yes. Mr. Yes, Grinch. you are. Horses have but anyway, so the kid was dumb. Because the tiger kills the kid. The kid purposely goes down. To lure the tiger out so he can see him closer. This is not something you do with a tiger. I don't care how old you are. Mm-hmm. You know that you do not do this with a tiger. Uh, sure, let me stick my hand with a with a fillet of steak on it into uh, the tiger's cage. Right. Like who does that? Right. And I think that the like, I think the part of it is like so. Like for example, I'm going to use Baby Stay Out because Baby Stay Out's better. Oh, than this. John. <laughs> no, my point with that is. That they set up that even though this is a, a baby, uh, an infant, um, she has a, the, the baby book, right? So she has a motivation. <laughs> That's what I think is that even if you're writing a child character, I would have appreciated it a little bit more if there were little nuggets before that would set up certain well, so aspects now, of it. Now knowing, because I didn't at the time, but knowing by the end what the tiger represents, mm-hmm. it totally makes sense. Uh-huh. because people do that in their lives. You play around with and are fascinated with the dark side of yourself, mm-hmm. right? You you take risks with it. You do dumb stuff because you're young and you don't know any better, and then it eats you. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like, knowing by the end what that represented made that part make sense. I mean, at the time, you're just like okay, why are you being an idiot, kid? And then the dad's like, see, this is what really happens when you screw with the tiger, and he makes uh-huh. him watch the goat get pulled through the gate by right. the thing, <clears throat> which was thankful that they didn't make us watch that. But, um, but yeah, knowing later that it is much more allegorical than I expected it to be, uh-huh. I think it worked. Uh-huh. He does not agree with me. <laughs> you didn't see the look on his face. <laughs> I'm happy that you liked it. <laughs> it. When Pi is 16, his father announces that they must move to Canada. 
where he intends to settle and sell the animals. A family book's passage with animals on a Japanese... You missed the best line. That was like my favorite line in the movie. Is He's talking about going to it Canada. Was a nerdy and we're gonna be We're going to be explorers. Line. And the dad's like, we're going to go out like Columbus. And then the son is like, but Columbus was looking for India. <laughs> so we it, should stay here. What sold that line was everybody else's reaction to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it was... For, but it was like, now's not the time. <laughs> but it was such a good line. Loved it. All right. Sorry, I had to put that in because it was a good line. They just, they tickled your history. A lot, yes. Uh, the fa- the, I, that's a thing now. <laughs> you're in the doctor. A, I have a history moment. And you're just like, I can't stop thinking about uh, <laughs> Captain Cook and his expedition. So it's like, well, let's check out your history book. <laughs> the family book's passage with the animals on a Japanese freighter. During a storm, the ship founders while Pi is on deck. He tries to find his family, but a crewman throws him into a lifeboat. A freed zebra jumps in onto the boat with him, breaking its leg. The ship sinks into the Mariana Trench, drowning his family. Pi briefly sees what appears to be a survivor, but it turns out to be Richard Parker. Um, and that was his text message. Uh, <laughs> the, um, I think part of what I want to bring up, and, and this can be something that we took, because a lot of these things I think are informed by um, how, you know, I, I see critics criticize movies, but one part of, of it that I'm, I'm not entirely sold on because I feel like the, the, the axiom itself is, is odd to me, but there are certain movies like this that I think it, 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 I can understand it a bit more, but they talk about how a movie can be manipulative. Mm-hmm. And now when I was in screenwriting in college, he was saying the whole idea of a movie is to manipulate somebody's emotions. Yes. So the idea that something can be too manipulative is kind of strange to me because it's like, that's the whole point. You want somebody to, like I no, said, but feel you don't something. want to be that heavy handed about it. Right. You don't want to be obvious about it. So I think what happens is that <clears throat> that moment in the beginning was kind of like a save the cat moment. And then the rest of the movie, you just kind of like, curiosity is going to murder me. <laughs> like, it turns out life is a lot harder than it was in the first 10 minutes yes. of this movie. Um, and so, like, I guess it's like you could compare this to something like the best exotic miracle until tower or something. That is the same tone the whole way through. So, in the beginning, when it was so uh, what do you call it? Not uh, whimsical. And, and they were talking about his triangular Uncle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I guess part of what was jarring to me was that it was kind of uh, trying to do, uh, trying to have a foot in this like kind of spectacle movie, and then also trying to be this much more philosophical, allegorical thing at the same time. Um, so the, um, but I if there's one thing that saved us, I love the the ship capsizing scene. Oh yeah, yeah, because like. The, the, that's impressive. one thing I can't say about this movie is that the visuals are. Oh, stunning. the visuals are amazing. Um, um, was the author Indian? Yeah, let me let me look at this. It's based on because yeah. it is it is a much more Eastern style story. I think. Um. So it's a he was a, a Spanish born Canadian author. Spanish born Canadian author. That's yeah. interesting. Yes. Actually, no. Maybe then. So if we look at this as a Spanish story, it makes total sense, actually, because mm. Spanish stories are all crazy like this, and I should make you read more of them. Uh oh. So that that we have <laughs> to add some things to Melissa's list. history bone. <laughs> no, well, stuff that I want to read that I haven't. Mm. It's very magical, realistic stuff. Very true. You know. Maybe we're learning. John doesn't like. We can we can read through the Alchemist together. How about that? That's a big one right now. Do you cricket? Okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's in trouble. The ship uh, sinks into the Mariana Trench, drowning his family. Oh, yeah. And then we learn that the tiger is on the ship with him. So after the storm, Pi awakens the lifeboat with the zebra uh, and is joined by a resourceful orangutan. So, yeah, on the on the on this thing floats over. He calls him orange juice. Um, a spider hyena emerges from under a uh, tarpaulin. Tarpaulin. Yeah, the, the tarp on the... That's what tarp is short for. 
So case, Melissa has a know. history bone and sea and legs. A, and a linguistic bone. And what bites? And sea legs. Sea legs. <laughs> the history bones like to do the sea legs. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, covering half of the lifeboat and snaps at Pi, forcing him to retreat to the end of the boat. The hyena kills the zebra and later the orangutan. Um, Richard Parker emerges from under the tarpaulin, killing the hyena after retreating back to cover for several days. Um... So yeah, I think that the another thing I'll say about the visuals is that the um, CGI was really good because, as you were saying, no way this guy's dealing with an actual, uh, you know, tiger. No. Um, and I think earlier on in the zoo, like the first five minutes, um, is this like extended scene at the zoo, and I think maybe ninety five percent of those animals were real. Yeah. But. Um, the, it's kind of it's very seamless in terms of that. Oh yeah, they do um, a really nice job. Computer generated stuff. It's a very convincing um, tiger. I think unfortunately it turned out that that uh, studio had to shut down. No really. One of the sad things about those studios is that if they say we're going to get this done by this time, they have to work without pay, uh, and that kind of happened with them. So oh. unfortunately they got at work. But hopefully you guys are doing well out there. Um, somewhere. Yeah, beautiful work. Um, so Pi fashions a small tethered raft from flotation vests, which he retreats to for safety from Richard Parker. Despite his moral code against killing, he begins fishing, enabling him to sustain the tiger as well. When the tiger jumps into the sea to hunt for fish and then comes threateningly towards Pi, Pi considers letting him drown, but ultimately helps him back to the boat. One night, a humpback whale reaches near the boat, destroying the raft and its supplies. Pi trains Richard Parker to accept him in the boat and realizes that caring for the tiger is also helping keep himself alive. So yeah, I think that the back half of the movie is where it starts getting really interesting for me. And the um, the the like the setup of like the uh, orangutan and the zebra and all that stuff, like, it's very, um, I, I guess p part of it could also be that the fact that it's more allegorical and it's not as much, like, just kind of being Forrest Gump and then having random quotes about God interspersed with it might also kind of help. And Yeah, and I think, I think you're right. I think maybe they were trying to condense a lot of the front end of the novel into <clears throat> into that because they wanted to get to this part, which right. seems to be the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful part, though. Uh -huh. Like, I, I love the whole section. Right. And, and I can see how visually it's difficult to have all that stuff be as interesting. And we don't normally nowadays get, like... For example, if you're going to talk about Jaws, it's one of those things where the third act is chasing the thing. A lot of it is you've been trying to build up the tension of this thing and the different kills that it makes. Right. You know, it's not a hundred percent. Let's go. Yeah, kill this is the not thing. a typical three act kind of structure. Mm -hmm. It's much more like you were saying, like a wider, wide life story kind of thing. But they wanted to focus on this one big section. So it's not really like the beginning leads up to this so much mm -hmm. as just kind of sets up this is who this guy is. Right. And then here's what happens when he's stuck on a boat with a tiger. Like mm -hmm. it's it's not this a similar, it's not the same, it's not a typical story structure. Right. And and it it is fun to be uh, grumpy about little kid <laughs> little kids being stupid and, and nearly getting, you know. You know, um, it, like, because it's such a, it's such a, it, it's an easy thing to have this character get sympathy because they're, you know, they're, they don't know any better. And so I think, so one, one thing I was talking about on Twitter was about the, the difference between comics and the uh, Harry Potter franchise. And one thing that that's, that, um, the strip of guys have been talking about with that series is that a lot of it is just the, the, the main characters like handed 
the chosen one status. Right. And a lot of it is like this character just kind of gets off because he has good friends and, um, you know, like God is in an office that he can go to anytime he wants, that kind of thing. So um, it, it doesn't really have as, as strong of a story to me. It wasn't as appealing to me as a kid as something like Lord of the Rings where the it's a combination of the fact that this there's this group that knows what they're doing and, and kind of helps each other and the fact that they it, each person individually gets moments to show how strong they are and stuff. So I think in this time where it's him deciding to really, you know, stand up for himself and and, and take mastery of the situation instead mm-hmm. of just keep letting things happen to him. Right. That that's what really motivates me to to get in with him. And and there is something I think <clears throat> as far as like my lizard brain interacting with the story, the the fact that like there's this tiger who kind of represents um, the like I, w- I was saying, we, we just read um, the Hemingway story, um, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, and there's very much this masculine idea of, like, death being a friend and something that you're, like, using as a way to keep alert, like he writes down uh, in a letter, in a bottle type thing, um, that he's, uh, he's grateful that there's Richard Parker there with him, because it's something that's keeping him on his toes and um, I think that that tension definitely works um, to keep the the story interesting. Um, let's see. Weeks later, they encounter a floating island of interconnected trees. It is a lush jungle of edible plants, freshwater pools, and a large and population of meerkats. <laughs> they were so Ena- cute. <laughs> enabling Pine Richard Parker to eat and drink freely and regain strength. Uh, at night, the island transforms into a hostile environment. That was a really creepy, creepy thing. Creepy thing. It was yeah. really good though. Yeah. So he he's like in this tree sleeping with the meerkats because he tries to get them to let go of him and they're not having it. Um, and so when he wakes up, he notices this uh, like oh, oh I wonder if that was a lotus flower. Uh, probably. It looked like one. So yeah, that that's another thing is that there's there's visual cues that as and what was the i wonder if that ties into the dance that the that they were doing mm-hmm. that the lotus flower was hiding in the forest mm-hmm. the beginning right that's an interesting thought. i just figured out this movie <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but that's that, that's an interesting thing that i hadn't considered before that there are different traditionally allegorical things throughout mm-hmm. the movie because as i was saying a lot of the stuff in the beginning is very much like a dialogue about like a, a textual thing. Like if you're going to talk about the theme of the movie, you can see it there, but then the rest of the movie is very much more fable. Like, so towards the beginning, the girl that Pi has a crush on is doing this dance and how he kind of like breaks the ice with her is that he approaches her and says, what was this you were doing? And <laughs> he's doing the, the, the move for the and it's making her friends kind of like laugh at him. But she's like, interested that he's interested in what she's doing so um there yeah there was a specific hand movement that he was saying translates to a flower in the in the forest a flower hiding in the forest and so she also said that it also no, he of, said it was something else first and she said no that's also a lotus flower what did he say it was i forget now i'm pretty sure he just said it was like a fl- it was a flower no it was, it, was a lotus. it was like death or something and maybe it was death see if it was death then it's really important how we need to figure out what it was okay because he says it was a concept thing mm-hmm. and he didn't understand it and she's like no that's also the symbol for a lotus flower okay so yeah so uh, anyway. part of the point that we're making is that later on there's apparently there more going on in here than <laughs> right but also that uh, literally there's a flower that has a tooth in it and um we, we find out that, that it's like over by narration that it's like dangerous because the pools in the island turn into acid uh, during the nighttime. And it's very, it's very much like uh, um, the Odyssey type thing. Yeah. Like there's this like deadly thing. That, and they, they you know, pan no back and the island looks like a person, mm-hmm. which was very creepy too. Oh yeah. That was, that was kind of a cool. It's thing. a really neat visual. All of this was amazingly beautiful. Like the, 
the island was beautiful. They have a whole scene where there's like a lot of bioluminescent stuff in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, they do that thing where you're, the water is so calm that it reflects the stars. And so you, he looks like he's floating on space. Like it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's like a lot of bioluminescence type thing, which is awesome. I love bioluminescent stuff. I just think it's cool. That stuff glows because mm-hmm. it can. I'm, I'm, Looking to Yan Who? Yan Who? I went on the Star, Star <clears throat> Trek Wikipedia to find the answer about Life of Pi. Now, uh, why is the lotus flower hiding in the forest? In Life of Pi, Pi sees this crush in dance class, and she does a dance that the rest of the girls don't. The lotus flower is hiding in the forest. Yes. Yes, what he does, what does it mean? Uh, I think it's an easy way of doing that last dance with her own style. I also think that he left a bracelet on the island because it's saved his life, quite literally. The bracelet. Oh, also, why does he tie the bracelet she gave him? Oh, uh, yeah, to the, to the tree. All right, so that's the that's a visual tied to, to her, so we're on, on the money. Okay. But, yeah, definitely cool figurative things going on there that mm-hmm. I just caught. So it does pay off that. It does. Point, point one to life of pie. <laughs> Are we keeping score? As, yes, I want to win. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, they leave the island, um, eventually reaching the coast of Mexico. Pi is saddened that Richard Parker does not acknowledge him before disappearing into the jungle. He is rescued and brought to a hospital. Insurance agents for the Japanese freighter company interview him, but do not believe the story. Ask what really happened. He tells a different story, in which the animals are replaced by human survivors, his mother for the orangutan, an amiable sailor for the zebra, and the ship's brutish cook for the for the hyena. In this story, the ki- cook kills the sailor and feeds on his flesh. He also kills Pi's mother, after which Pi kills him with a knife and uses his remains as food and fish bait. The insurance agents are dissatisfied with this story, but they leave without questioning Pi further. They're dissatisfied, for the record, because... They wanted to know how the ship sank. sank. And so that was their main point. And so being pushed by them, he actually tells them what happened. Um, and I think, like I said, the, at first when I watched this, I felt betrayed and I didn't want to do the work to actually look at what in the story was symbolizing these things and what was foreshadowing it. And like it was a lack of sophistication as a viewer on my part. Um, but were there any, like, what, what were your emotions when you finally explained that? Did you say, like, this is a genius. This movie is a genius. It or, wasn't really that. It was more of a a sinking feeling of acceptance of it. Uh-huh. Like, because through this whole thing, I was just like, well, you know, <clears throat> you get very fascinated um, with the struggle between him and the tiger. Mm-hmm. And just his struggle to survive, period. Because that's the bulk of the time, is him surviving. They don't really deal with the other things as much. Right. But it gives different meaning to how angry he was at himself and how uh, how he felt. Because now instead of him watching animals just do what animals do by killing each other, mm. you realize he watched human beings do this to each other. Mm. And that's a different level of terror and guilt and right. disappointment than just watching a hyena, which would eat whatever it can get. Right. Like it's a hyena. What's it going to do? But knowing then it was that jerk of a cook that you hated anyway <laughs> from the ship. It's just like, okay. Yeah. yeah r- racist Gerard de Perdue. I don't, I, I want, I don't want you in my movies. No. I want good. I want nice de Perdue. Yeah. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> but then. Animal de then this is where we were we were comparing it to, um, this is an odd comparison really, but uh, there's a movie Don Juan de Marco, it's, um, Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando, and I forget Marlon Brando's wife who plays that. It's another big is name Ka- actor. Ka- Maybe, I think so. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in that one, Don Juan de Marco is or Johnny Depp is playing a guy who has this delusion that he is Don Juan de Marco. He's going to Marlon Brando as a psychologist because he's been court ordered to. Like he was gonna, he was on a billboard threatening to kill himself. So they had to send him to the psychology 
a, a psych ward to be taken care of. Mm. Um, and through the whole thing, his romanticism and his crazy bravado and all this other stuff reinvigorates Marlon Brando's relationship with his wife. Mm -hmm. And all this beautiful stuff happens because this guy thinks he's Don Juan. Um, but then at the end, this other psychologist who's been just trying to get Johnny Depp to take his meds finally gets him to take some medication. Mm -hmm. And he comes in as this normal dude and tells this somewhat depressing story about how he's pretty much broke and he lives with his mom and he like just wanted to do something exciting and mm -hmm. he was infatuated with this model and that's why he did what he did. Right. And you're just left with this like, so literally the rest of the movie meant nothing. Mm -hmm. Like there, there was no other, like it was all in his head. Like it's one thing in Life of Pi, the stuff happened. Right. And it meant something still. He just changed, you know, he made it more fantastical, mm -hmm. but it was still, the truth of what happened was still there. Right. As opposed to in this other one, it was all fluff and nonsense and, you know, and you want it, you want it to be real. You want the romanticism to be there. Mm -hmm. And they kind of give it this, this happy spin on the end of like, well, mm -hmm. let's just give ourselves up to these froofy nothings, but right. they're still froofy nothings <laughs> as opposed to like an actual real uh -huh struggle that he went through right. whatever he decides to call it it was still a real struggle and he still overcame this horribleness yeah that was one of the, <clears> the <throat> best lines in the in the what i was saying was kind of like in the beginning it's more expositiony and you're you're really getting the themes through uh the stuff uh, as far as uh, or like i think that the tiger scene is in the beginning is, is pretty good but the best uh, line I think is when he says like in both stories I'm I, I go through suffering and people die right so, like then which one did you like better right and so that's it's a good way of you know making the point that the movie's trying to make and like I think what you're kind of coming across is, is that there's some things that pull this kind of thing and it feels very nihilistic and the the there's not really a philosophy as much as it is like the person life is, sucks so let's make it better right and but through lies right there's a difference when there's something that is um a, a, a vision of the truth or a which brings us back to jordan peterson because god forbid we go through a podcast and not mention jordan peterson we need a jordan peterson button <laughs> i know right <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that's his take on on mythology in general mythology is stuff that was true that is true it is truths that the human consciousness knows and we have distilled into these stories that teach right. these truths whether or not the events ever happened are is irrelevant mm. it's truth that you are teaching in a specific way it's why parables work so well it's why you know fables were a thing because right. it doesn't matter if the facts of what you're telling happened right it's why fiction is a thing in general. <laughs> why would you write a novel if really all you're trying to do is, you know, tell the news story that happened down the street? That's mm -hmm. not your point. Your right. point is these bigger truths that you can only illustrate in these other ways. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, to, to to wrap up, I think part of the thing is that when, when it's a filmmaker like this who really only has... Um, he has a few films that he... Um, is really well respected for, but some of them are hot garbage. <laughs> if you're here, you're going to go by public opinion. Um, he's the guy that did the first Hulk movie. Oh. And he See, also that did... was not the character to try and do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, he, he did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So that's oh, I like that one. One of the, one of the better ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he did Brokeback Mountain, so he got a lot of acclaim for that one. Um, but uh, he did the, the Hulk, which everybody kind of crapped on. And he did one recently called Sea of Trees, which involves a reincarnation thing. That is another one where it's, people are just like, really? Like, it's, yeah. it, so he likes doing those kind of those kinds of endings. things. And I think that's that's one uh, common criticism that uh, it, there are certain directors that that really hit it where. A lot of it is kind of like um, self-indulgent, and so this idea of like I care more about the audience's reaction to this cool twist that I have rather than respecting 
the story that you're making. I feel like that could be part of why it was drawn the first time and I didn't really see it for the forest for the trees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like with, <clears throat> with some people like uh, Gus Van Sant, somebody that, that um, gets gets criticized for that too. He uh, did Good, Good Will Hunting, which is a very simple story, well told. Uh, and then ever since then, he's just been doing, seems like he's just been having fun with his audience where like he did Psycho, he did a shot for shot remake of Psycho. And then he told everybody, because somebody else would have done it, and I figured I would do it. And everybody's like, well, nobody asked you. Yeah, <laughs> no, nobody wanted that, buddy. And there's this kind of like pompous attitude to that. Um, and so there are some things in this where I'm just like, move it along, yeah, buddy. Like, there's uh, like, let's go. this is very pretty, but I'm try- I want to know whether this kid makes it. Um, but all in all, not a terrible movie. I think, it, like I said, the fact that I had such a visceral reaction to it, you should watch it and you should uh, maybe also read the book. Uh, I certainly gonna put it on my wish list, um, and uh, I'm I'm interested to get some of these stories as well. That's kind of interesting as we're talking about Spanish by way of Canada, but it's an Indian thing. Um, we're gonna be talking. Um, pro- I'll probably be watching the um, Jungle Book adaptation uh, coming up on uh, this Friday, December seventh, because um, I. For the love of, for the life of me, I've never seen the book adapted to film the way that I wanted to. It's another ending thing that I kind of want. It's his pride and prejudice. Don't dang it! <laughs> I have to admit it. Um, and uh, that's you know, Roger Kipling, not his people, not his thing, but he's trying to tell the story of his people. There, that's true. <laughs> and he lived there for a significant amount of time. Um, but yeah, I I think it's cool <clears throat> the the types of things that it's trying to do and it's trying to do something. It's, I don't think he's, you know, doing as, as you know, uh, I, I'm not offended by it. I just, there are different things about it that he just I had a very like strong reaction, which may have been the point. Some people need to have that strong reaction. To it. Some people need to have their flowers in the dark. <laughs> That's my cryptic. Self-indulgent po- poetic moment for the <laughs> ending of the podcast. If you'd like to write to us, uh, you can do so at unboxingstorypodcasts at gmail.com. You can talk to us about uh, our most recent episodes, which were about Guillermo del Toro or um, Pax. Or yes, Pax Unplugged. Um, Who now I am apparently reading every day because why not? <laughs> because I corrupted you. You have corrupted um, me. Or you can write to us about our upcoming episodes, which are about um, the letting off steampunk, which will be about mortal engines. engines. So um, excited! And uh, it, whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie, because that's <laughs> yes. one of those eternal it's nerd debates eternal debate. Yes, that we will throw our hat into. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or um, I think separately on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are on Facebook and Twitter as Unboxing Story. Yes. Um, I have a website with some writings and other meandering ramblings that are <clears throat> relevant to the story and my uh, creative endeavors. Uh, momtoast.com. Um, you can also hit her, her up on Insta. Inst, 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 I'm going to say Instagram because I'd shoot myself if I said I am momtoast on Instagram. <laughs> and uh, I'm John Maytoast Writer pretty much everywhere. Um, thanks again for all you new listeners. We hope you enjoy. And uh, thanks to Anchor for sponsoring our episode. And we'll see you. Oh, and also the Infatuation app. Uh, oh, which yeah. seems really cool. I'm excited to try to use that uh, ASAP next time I'm trying to Because there's all these hidden places downtown that we never knew existed that we will now find because they are on the because app. Because of the people at Infatuation. Yes. Thank you. And we'll talk to you later. <laughs>